The Banker by Eva After. I ran into one of my hymns before COVID. He's a Rotary Club member in a small rural town. And the Rotary Club runs the Tulips Against Cancer sale each year. He was my banker. And he was also on my Me Too list. In my mid-30s, I was renovating a house with a big project under my belt to open a bed-and-breakfast coffee shop antique store with my then-husband and my two baby kids in tow. I asked my banker to come visit the project renovation site in order to better appreciate how fabulous the finished place would be and how low the risks were to loan me the money. I told him, before our walkthrough, that I'd take him to lunch at the cafe in town to discuss the numbers, but he said he preferred to go to the auberge on the hilltop. So we went there. Once seated, I excitedly talked him through my business plan and explained how enthusiasm would make up for any lack of real hospitality or antique experience. I told him that my passion and my commitment would be enough to make the business work. I only needed his agreement and his financial backing to float me. I remember him looking at me from across the table with his blonde comb-over and his shiny blue suit, smiling and rubbing his hands together. I was waiting for his advice about my project and the approval of his financial support. But instead, he cocked his head and coolly said, How about taking a room? My mind veered and screeched as I wondered what I'd done wrong. How had he ever misconstrued my business plan outline and ardor for my project as physical interest in him? Isn't it amazing how we do that? How we immediately blame ourselves, right? Flabbergasted, I gathered my chutzpah, and I asked him who he thought he was and why he thought I'd invited him to lunch in the first place. I told him it was indecent to speak to a young female client like that. I told him I was married, as if that mattered. I told him I would tell his company. But he was the bank manager, after all. So there was no one above him. There would be no sanctions. So he couldn't have cared less. And I knew it. No one cared about sexual harassment in the French countryside in the early 21st century. Who was I kidding? So when I ran into him among the tulips several months ago, I had to introduce myself. He knew he knew me from somewhere, but just couldn't put a finger on it, he said. Young, Franco-American couple, tiny town, big house, ambitious project, important loan, lunch, then aggression, I reminded. A twinkle came to his eye, but not the good kind. What you did that day was inappropriate and unwanted. You were in a position of power. You sexually harassed me, I said matter-of-factly, while selecting my buds. I was only trying my luck, he grinned back with a sparkle in his eye. No, that's not the truth. You put me in a compromising situation. Because you were a man, and because you held the power, you asked me to sleep with you during a business lunch. Your totally unsolicited proposition and the way you overstepped your boundaries affected me so deeply that day that I've carried the pain around with me for all these years. Imagine that. That was a textbook example of sexual harassment. Turning my back, I continued my flower purchases 
as he waited for me outside the entrance of the makeshift sales tent. I'd been carrying that story around for 20 years, I realized. Just one of those typical moments on my Me Too list. We've all had them, haven't we? Those uncomfortable occasions when a man makes a woman feel powerless, dirty, belittled, sullied, and objectified. The times when he strips her of her intelligence, her strength, her know-how, and her dignity, making her feel like a piece of meat or just a hole. I have no doubt that in those same exact instances from his vantage point, the guy is simply making a proposal because he happens to have a pleasant impulse. I can even fathom that these men often want our pleasure too. I do not believe all men in such situations really want to hurt us, consciously disrespect us, or force us into something we do not want. The majority are perhaps not even trying to twist our arms, nor have any conscious intention of making us do something we'll find uncomfortable. Men are perhaps sometimes just overcome by their sudden physical and sexual animal impulses and are offering up suggestions without weighing consequences, no matter who we are how out of context, how inappropriate, or how crazy. Men just seem to prioritize their dicks. And if his dick is saying he's ready, I guess they just assume we should be too. Even at professional lunches. Dicks are surely often telling their owners to just go for it. They're pointing up and beyond after all, so I imagine they're awfully hard not to listen to. Thick and rigid and penetrating as they are into a belly. Owning a dick would make anyone fidgety, especially at a business lunch. But especially also when society has trained men to act and lead and dominate, to suggest, to make the first move, to take control, and women to accept, to adhere, to appease, and to wait for the man's first move. Women have so often been raised to please men and their manly desires before considering or even in spite of, our own. If vaginas had more to say, or more of an upper hand per se, just like dicks, things would be different. If women spoke out openly about their desires and pleasures, perhaps men would feel less inclined to blurt out their own fantasies in any fucking random situation. If vaginas had historically been allowed to voice their fancies openly and pursue them freely, Perhaps men in their dicks would not feel forced to force themselves upon women. If our society had taught us that men and women were equally powerful, smart, able, and useful, then women, and our vaginas, would never have been relegated to second fiddle. If we had had more power and more choice in society, we would not be waiting passively for the man to make his move. And men would not feel it their position or obligation to make that move whenever they and their dicks felt so inclined, especially during business lunches. So that day at the tulip field, as I walked out of the tent with my arms full of flowers, my former banker pulled me aside and apologized, without buts, for putting me in such a compromising situation. And I accepted. And I felt relieved. And forgiving him like that allowed me to meditate on the power of restorative justice. Our world is waking up so quickly these days to the despicable conduct that had previously been accepted. 
the world is waking up to the consequences of gender division, gendered expectations, and gendered behaviors. The world is realizing how much less effective we are as a group when people are not considered and treated as complete equals, equally educated, expected, supported, and paid. So I really believe it's time to consider restorative justice as the way we can open up the discussions regarding sexual abuses and the trauma they cause, and how gendered roles in society only exasperate the whole equation. By allowing people to come forward and formally share their experiences in a controlled environment, society would be bearing witness, recording, and uncovering the truths about abuse and about trauma. By using the power of acknowledgement, listening, and hearing, rather than punishment, as a mechanism to treat past offenses, our global society would learn, grow, and heal. A restorative communication formula would help elucidate how our behaviors came to be and why gendered expectations are so limiting. Speaking openly to one another in such a context would help create a roadmap for more open present moment communication between people of all genders and all persuasions. It won't make the acts okay, and it doesn't mean people would be excused from what they did. Restorative justice can't erase what happened. But being able to communicate how the act made us feel and be heard by a perpetrator as well as by other witnesses would make the victim's healing far more real. Restorative justice would help us move to a higher and truer level of closure. But until it becomes an integral part of our justice system, I highly recommend my forgiveness method. Surprising public, clear, concise, and in the middle of a field of flowers. <laughs>